0: you yes i mean you dear listener thank you thank you for listening to this warui Desho show podcast we're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today if you've listened to us before and like our show you might be wondering how you could support us since we won't take your money this podcast will continue to be free but if you'd like to show your appreciation please consider leaving us a rating and review on itunes as those help our discoverability if you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Waterway-Show or email us at Waterway-Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read right on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please enjoy the show. What do you make me
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Streamer 4 here on Warri Desho, and I am extremely disappointed. That's not my handle, by the way, that's just currently my state of mind. You can probably guess what I'm referring to. Uh, but on this very bipolar of episodes, because of, once again there are differences of opinion here, uh, I am Shaden. And with me today is a stalwart podcast companion, and genuinely awesome guy, even if he does have some questionable uh, trains of thought and logic behind him. Uh, it is, of course, none other than the SUSEL doxer.
0: Hello. Don't hurt me too much.
1: I I, I won't. I, I just want to hurt the anime. Just, just a little. Just a little.
0: I think it would like it. But, well,
1: is it, is it down for punishment time?
0: I think it's got a little bit of the Yatterman Night Episode
1: 7s about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, check out that episode, by the way, if it's already out. Link in the description. <laughs> uh, okay, no, we're not going to talk about Yasmin Knight. Uh, we already did that, actually, the day before this was recorded. We we're instead going to talk about episode six of Darling in the Franks, which is just called Darling in the Franks. Um,
0: I thought I thought that it was just some sort of error by the Crunchyrolls.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to go with what Crunchyroll put up here, which is that it's Darling in the Franks episode six, Darling in the Franks, of the Franks, Requiem of the Franks. (laughs) It's it's one of the most redundant things ever.
0: (laughs) Fate stay Franks. Yeah.
1: I think, by the way, that the redundancy of this title also reflects certain elements of this particular episode, and certainly how I felt about it. So there's your cold open, folks. Yeah, I'm not in a happy mood again, suffice to say. If you liked, you know, how I was last week, where I was very positive about the show... Uh, no grumpy old shade in his back. I'm afraid the one who's all piss and vinegar. Uh, I'm very sorry to say, but carry on we must. If you liked how positive I was last week, there's more of that for me. I did tell you all this episode was going to be bipolar, and I'm well. I did, I meant it. But let's actually discuss what happens in the episode, and therefore I can finally, you know, get this out of my system. Well, do you so, do you want to do? Do you mind
0: if we kick off the top? uh listing the specific episode writer director etc for episode six.
1: Oh yeah i definitely do need to know the name of my enemy
0: <laughs> that's right you want to know who to name and shame
1: uh, yeah exactly go on
0: so on uh screenplay duty we have uh one of the head writers uh naotaka hayashi uh, who's written episodes two and four it looks like this person's on the Even-numbered episodes, and I think that this one uh, is a bit better than what they've done in the past. Certainly better than the episode two, which I thought was the nadir of the show so far.
1: Well, at the risk of recycling an old joke here, it is the number two episode. Are you really that surprised? No!
0: Boy. Um. (laughs) Uh, The episode director. So this is interesting. I could have sworn I checked this, and it was someone different than I'm about to list, but I checked it this morning, and I'm glad I did, because uh, Yoshinobu Takashima is the episode director for episode six, and that is the one and only thing the Anime News Network lists in their CV. There are no mm. other no other credits to this person's name, mm. which is incredibly interesting.
1: Were they freshly decanted from, like, you know, Anime Directs, a cloning program? I think, yes.
0: Trigger pulled them out of the vat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, just a homunculus. <laughs> Pretty much. And there's there's two more. I, wa- I want to give credit to a couple more people, but just before you, you lean in on it, Akira Amemia is the storyboarder for episode six, and he is... Someone I'd like to call the Trigger Man because...
1: Oh, he triggered me all right.
0: Akira. Akira has like been involved in a lot. I mean, almost every Trigger production. He's done storyboards for Kill the Kill. Uh, he's worked on Lulico, worked on uh, Inferno Cop. In fact, he's the series director for Inferno Cop. Done some stuff on Ninja Slayer. The director on that, no less, I I see, uh, including uh, the animation director on the OP as well. So he was heavily involved with that. So he is doing the storyboarding for uh, our first-time episode director. And finally, finally, uh, someone who I think deserves a nice mention, the animation director for this episode. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm with you on that one. The the animation director for this does deserve credit.
0: Uh, Mai Yoniyama. Did uh, an excellent job, I thought, because the majority of this episode is robot fights, and I thought those were pretty exciting. Yoniyama has uh, worked on this is another person who's been involved with Trigger. She worked on uh, the Little Witch Academia TV show and the movie uh, and the Enchanted Parade OAV doing key animation, animation directing, and assistant animation directing on those projects. Um, Did some key animation, a little of uh, Fujiko Mine on one episode of that. Hmm. Has worked uh, with Gynex prior to working with Trigger. Uh, Did some panty and stocking stuff as an in-betweener and a second key animator. The biggest line in her CV is uh, on Kill la Kill so again trigger stalwart here animation director for five episodes including episode 25 wow yeah Uh, assistant animation director for five episodes including uh 15 16 and 24 so very very involved in the the denouement of kill la kill and assistant ad for several episodes so and kisnaiver uh she was actually the character designer and I'm not a big fan of Kisniver, but one thing I think Kisniver really nailed was those character designs. So mm. I c- consider me a Yoniyama fan, generally. I think that, that she's done good work.
1: Mm. I have to also say that um, I don't know the person's name, and if you spot this talk, feel free to let me in on it. But one of the things Frank has done actually consistently well is its OST. And yes. there's a metal track that kicks in when the fight mm-hmm. starts. And I I wanted to start, you know, pulling up the horns and doing a little headbang because <laughs> it was such a wonderful accompaniment to the, um, to the fight. And there's a later, more orchestral, somber, almost near-like uh, music piece that plays uh, when things go really badly. And while that scene I was rather annoyed at for a variety of reasons, I can't fault the music uh, for conveying the mood they wanted to bring across. It's just unfortunate the writing didn't, but Anyway, uh, we'll get to that. The
0: mu- The music uh, the music credit belongs to Asami Tachibana, who has done uh, the music for Gundam Build Fighters. Mm-hmm. And a try specifically, so the second season of that, and a special and uh, an OAV. Uh, and Haikyuu, the first and third TV seasons of that, among other things that seem less consequential, like
1: Seraph of the End and Attack on Titan Junior High. The fact that the Attack on Titan Junior High even exists as a concept.
0: <laughs> 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 its <just> so silly. <laughs> it's like the it's like the, the Evangelion Junior High, just like, why? Why?
1: Scraping the bottom of the barrel of ideas that you know you've bottomed out if that's the only thing you can come up with.
0: That's even worse. It's even worse than Evangelion Junior High, because at least an Evangelion... They are in high school. Like it's not that big of a departure setting-wise, but the the Attack on Titan characters in a school. Like, okay, whatever. Does not talk about. I'm sorry. Please pretend I didn't say any of this or waste our time.
1: It's fine. So let us continue with Darling in the Franks episode six, Darling in the Franks Subparagraph seven, section B. <laughs> Bylaw four. <laughs> yes, and we begin with something that was so silly that okay. You recall, if, you, if you've if you been listening to this entire stream of thought through, throughout, you'll, of course, have listened to our thoughts in Episode 5. And I was very excited for what would come next with uh, Episode 6, with all the build-up and all of the tension that had, had been masterfully crafted up until that point. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, Episode 6 does recognise that that has happened and has been built up to and that they should probably follow through on that. And there are others in which I just have to think to myself... What were they thinking? And not nearly 15 seconds into this episode, that happened with one of the goofiest things I have ever seen. Um, specifically, I'm talking about the Viking GameCube Plaxisaur, <laughs> the ball box.
0: <laughs> I thought it. I thought it looked kind of fun and cool.
1: <laughs> it's meant to be. This is meant to be like the, the battle for their lives, and we've got. The, the black the bucking bronco coming over the distance. What the fuck? I mean, I, jo- I <laughs> joke, I, I jokes, I pre- jokes, I joke previously about the electric shaver Klaxosaur.
0: Yeah, that one's way worse. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it is the re- the Norelco Klaxosaur is like way more. It took me out of it more personally. This one just feels to to me like um kind of a standard trigger deal. It's it's very much what I would expect. Like it looks like, you know, it looks like a something that would drop out of the sky and Gurren Lagon.
1: It looks like a robot from Yasmin Night. But the problem is, <laughs> the problem with this Dodok, is that this show is not no. a light-hearted. Romp. No, it's not. So it looks goofy. Like this is meant to be the coming like destruction that's gonna like that they're all petrified about. And again, I can only speak to my reactions here. But I had to pause because I was laughing. This. This fucking thing is going to be the thing that, like, threatens our heroes and the lives it of does, thousands of people. It does
0: look like a GameCube.
1: <laughs> that was a really good shout. <laughs> it's fucking dumb. I, I like the visual design in Franks, generally speaking, but this is the first real dud. I'm I astounded by it. Absolutely mm. astounded by the fact <laughs> that they, they did... That, did they not watch this and just not think this is really goofy?
0: It's like that the, the little claxosaurs are like, we're coming over to play, and we're bringing the GameCube, because
1: it's in tow. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised the thing did not start speaking in Swedish.
0: Ooty, paper Mario, gotta get the memory cards.
1: Ah. I will credit the opening of at least the presence of some broken buildings that we get to see. So we get some more hints about the post apocalypse clips that's happened that we'll probably never find out about because I'm rapidly losing faith in this show's ability to properly explain any world building. But I'll get to that. Okay, so what happens next, though, is something I did quite like. And this is a directional choice that you don't often see because it's not... It's not something you'll often really need to use, but it's something that you should, I think, when the, the narrator demands it, which is that in episode six, we actually outright skip the OP. Mm-hmm. It's not there. There have been examples of this in other anime, uh, one of which was, and I've mentioned this to you numerous times, uh, Persona 4, the anime, not the mm-hmm. golden one. We don't talk about
0: that.
1: <laughs> Spoilers for Persona 4, but if you've not played Persona 4, why are you listening to this podcast? Go play it. It's been 10 years. Come on. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, of course, in Persona 4, there are a couple of major events that happen. One of which, of course, is that after Nanako is rescued from the Heaven Dungeon, she dies in hospital. Now, in the anime, the way that the anime is structured is her dying is the end of that particular episode. I don't remember the episode number, I'm afraid. So, just take my word for it. And then the following episode, there is no OP. It is a title card, and that's it. And that is, I think, a really sensible choice for, mm-hmm. to follow through from the mood of the previous one. And then it happens later. So in Magutsu Inaba, which is, of course, the end game dungeon where the final boss awaits, you faces off against Adachi at the end of the episode and it looks like they're about to start fighting and then it cuts to credits because that's when the episode ends. Fair enough. Next episode, again, no OP. We get a title card with Adachi speaking over it and then it cuts immediately to the fight getting started. Again, a great example of... We don't need the OP here because it's going to st- it's going to stall and deflate the, t- the momentum from the previous episode. We want People are going to be waiting for this episode to come out next week, and we want to get them right into it. We want them to be immediately engaged with the fight. So where appropriate, the decision to drop the OP, I think, is a really nice narrative flourish. And not to mention it's just in terms of budget and expenses not a cheap thing to do because, of course, your OP is 1 minute 30 of your average 24 minute episode that you can just slot in for free every week. You don't have to worry about animating anything new to cover that particular time. I can't, again, speak for the specifics of how much it costs to, you know, create something brand new in place without how much it would set you back. But mm. it's, not a, it's not a non-zero figure.
0: Yeah, and there there are a couple moments uh, where there there's very, very little going on <laughs> motion-wise and the camera kind of stops for a while on a specific shot and you feel it linger longer than it should. Uh, yeah. and there are a couple still frames during the fight at one point or at least if they're not outright still frames then they're mostly still and uh, so I feel like you felt it there but I think on balance I agree with you that in terms of the tone that we're trying to to set here uh, it makes sense and it's worth, worth it to
1: do. Exactly. So this is the morning after the night before this is the day of the big battle that they've been leading up to, the one in which they will finally conquer Metroid Prime <laughs> I mean, <when> sorry <laughs> No, no, I'm Smash sorry. Brothers Melee. <laughs> I, I want this to be fan art of, like, the four Franks is playing on giant controllers plugged into the giant GameCube Claxosaur.
0: I'm sad it's not the burnt orange color that was so yeah. popular. It's just black.
1: How boring. It looks like it's out of Tron Legacy, so... Know, <laughs> they isn't. all have that color scheme, so... Yeah, the blue-black. Yeah. the blue black, It's mm-hmm. it's the color palette I use for Kai and Guilty Gear, so there's that as well. But anyway, um... Klaxosaur Kai. Indeed. kai I'm not drunk enough for this. Let me go grab some <laughs> beer. Give me some alcohol. Okay, no, no, I'm not going to drink alcohol just yet. I'm going to drink it later when I, you know, weep into my pillow over this episode. But anyway, <clears throat> so let us talk about fan service. Oh boy, my favourite topic Ooh. of all time, fan service. I mean, it's right up there along with nuclear disarmament. That's how much I like talking about it. This is the sound of me getting out of your way. All right. It has to be said that if you want to continue like a grim mood of foreboding, that this could be, you know, the point which all our characters are murdered or, well, not murdered, I mean, killed in action. Do we really have to have a scene in which the girls are discussing mundane, you know, this is the battle stuff over them getting changed in their underwear? Is that strictly speaking necessary? I mean, we don't see it for the guys, so I know exactly why it's there. And it sure as shit to me does not seem to be there for anything that gels with the narrative or the mood that was followed was built up in episode five. So I'm skeptical. Let
0: me just pose a hypothetical to you, but this is this is me not not disagreeing with you in principle, but just playing devil's advocate for a moment. So as you know, the beginning of the episode, let's take that as a given that the Claxosaurs are on their way, uh, they're approaching. And it's time to go. It's time to battle. And what we want to do, narratively, is depict the characters having those moments of, like, sort of talking out their feelings. Maybe there's some tension, some doubt. I- I'm not sure what else, what other activity, realistically speaking, they could be doing. Having breakfast? Um, but they don't have time. Aren't they rushing out to to get on the mechs?
1: They don't seem in any hurry. And then again, you you could just rewrite the script to give them time to at least have something to eat before. They yeah, go. no, no, no.
0: Yeah, re- w- anything is possible with the rewriting. But that I was just gonna say, like if if you're gonna go with that beginning, and then yeah, I guess that you're. I guess you're right that there's not there's not a sense of urgency to get on the battlefield. But but they do appear to be on schedule as far as like getting into the briefing room and planning out a strategy. Yeah, and this is, and it's one of the only places I think they could have a quiet moment to talk. Now, all that notwithstanding, we all know one of, if not the primary reasons that scene is there is for the cheesecake.
1: Yep, cheesecake, right before a battle in which they could all die. Great, <laughs> I love my total distance. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it when I'm meant to be going into like you know a, a fight which has been so massively led up to in fact all of this honestly a little bit feels disingenuous to the work that the people put into episode five mm. i'm i'm so fucking tired of this shit i really am and i'm not even got to the most awful part of this episode as far as the fan service goes which i'm really saving up my vitriol for but later the
0: the character work itself i think is good like that is oh, in, oh, in yeah. that scene you know the work in that scene and in. I think a lot of scenes in the show. I think the show, or sorry, this episode rather, was um, didn't reach the dizzying heights of episode five. No, nope. but apart from that, it's as good as the show has been in terms of of the characters getting to strut their stuff, have moments, get development, have screen time, and be feel significant.
1: I half agree and half don't, and I'll get uh-huh. to specific moments in a bit, but. <clears throat> Look, let me just lay it out here for you folks, right? I've had a very, like, shifting opinion on fan service over the years. When I started watching anime, I flat out hated it. I found it the most distracting thing ever because it played to the stereotype of anime being an immature medium that is just for children. And the more I watched, my viewpoint on that did not particularly weaken, but rather I refined it a little bit. I felt that unnecessary fan service betrays the work. It betrays the intent of the writers and the creators of the show that, oh, the material we've got got is interesting, so here, have some ass or some tits to l- look at. That's what the opinion I held. Now, that being said, that's changed over time. If there is something interesting going on, then I can generally speaking ignore unnecessary fan service, because I've got something else I can point to. I can literally go, look, I'm interested in this, not this. But the dialogue that was happening in this scene, I, for one, I don't see how it couldn't have been done in a different setting, and two, I don't think was... It was just mostly just posturing. Like, there wasn't any real existential dread. Like, I, I, it didn't come across to me or emotionally engage me enough to truly take me away from noticing what was put in front of me, which was ass and boobs. I think
0: it would have... If if the dialogue that wasn't in there and the interactions in that scene were taken out, I think the episode would be diminished. That That moment of it would be diminished. Like, I...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not advocating for its removal. I'm advocating for its transplantation to something else. Mm. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm advocating for. And that's the beauty of being a writer in that you can actually make this stuff work in a different setting.
0: Yeah, I guess it just would have felt differently. I'm, I am apologize for interrupting you. I just, thinking about them having breakfast, I know we're getting really in the weeds on this one scene, but um, it would have just had a sort of sense of leisure about it that I feel would have just felt different
1: it it kind of feels leisurely as is at the moment though.
0: really okay so it, i guess it hit i guess it hit me a little differently as a part part of part of the you know sound the alarms like oh the the master controller people are like looking all grim faced and like we need to prepare and then cut to that as, as part of that um momentum it, it felt right again it it you, you like It felt right, but it also felt like, okay, yeah, this is here for this reason. Because anime is a commodity that needs to sell character products.
1: Well, in that case, I would again make the argument that maybe Frank should just call all in on that rather than trying to be two things at once that can't coexist. Well, I think this is a with...
0: dilemma that all anime face.
1: Maybe, maybe it needs to actually answer that dilemma once and for all then. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... Uh, anyway, anyway, right. I'll make one final point, which is to say that as you alluded to earlier, yes, in fact, no, this is off-cast actually, but there is a scene in which Ichigo is like, you know, having a bath, she's pouring water over herself, she's butt-fucking naked, and she's slapping her, her face. I'm okay with that. I'm alright with that, because it is her being vulnerable. It's her also working herself up to what's coming. Mm-hmm. It's completely dialogue-free. In theory, you could cut it. But I appreciate its presence for that reason, other than just, well, She's naked, you know? Yeah. But this, this did, this, this a bit did not gel as much with me. Right. And, and
0: you, you know, you have a fair point here that like, you know, we, we don't, we don't really get to see Hiro or Goro in the same kind of like two dudes taking a shower. You know what I mean? Like that's, we're presented their vulnerability in a different way. Like
1: in in the, in the bedroom when they're talking to each other.
0: Yeah fully clothed or here or hero is like curled up in the fetal position you know with his aching uh ailment in the chest or whatever but it's it's just a different thing than you know it's it's less there's less sort of sexualization for sure
1: I wonder why that is
0: oh this yeah I mean I think we yeah we took yes
1: yes I'm the, yeah I you get my point I'm just being bitter and and <laughs> okay moving swiftly on from that so everyone gets outside uh, gets ready for the oncoming o- onslaught of the Klaxosaurs. And we get to see uh, you, Group 26s, the Cookie Cut Kids, uh, Franks is for the first time. And Cookie Cut Sh- Kids? Yeah, they they are. Like, I don't know any of their names. Their like, robots
0: are so bland as well.
1: Exactly. They, Bl- they are. Bland,
0: um, McFucking Bland. Like, just Master Chief bots. <laughs> just looking
1: shitty. They have cool harpoon weapons that I like very much. They do. And one of the bits of dialogue that we did get with the guys before they headed out is that Zorame is all oh, like, we can't let them show us up, we've got to be better than them and I'm like, oh my god, you really set yourself up for failure here <laughs> I mean, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Zorame, but just look at your track record here, you are currently zero for two. <laughs> yeah, zero for infinity <laughs> yeah, you've not done very well so far, so, but then again, as I've mentioned, that's the whole point of the build-up in the previous episode. We're meant to be afraid for these characters because this show is supposedly meant to be taken seriously and meant to be, you know, a, a little bit gritty. I'm not talking full gritty here. It doesn't need to be, like, you know, all the is hell. gritty. It doesn't need to be, you know, Spec Ops the Line as a Mecha show.
0: <laughs> Votons. <laughs> that, that's what you're looking for if you want that, by
1: the way. I'll politely decline. I'm currently getting a bit burned out on Mecha. <laughs> No, I can't. I can't. I'll never. I'll never. It is the polar.
0: Is the polar opposite of this show, by the way. (laughs) It's for so many reasons, but we'll talk about that off air. Are
1: they? Are they all nuns and priests? Is that why?
0: (laughs) Do they? They might as well be. Do they?
1: Do they? Do they break bread to turn the robots on?
0: Um, I can't think of anything clever to say. But no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So. The battle does uh, eventually begin. Oh wait, and... wait. Can I? Sorry, there,
0: so there's just a couple. There's a couple more scenes I, I, or things I wanted to point out before the battle gets started.
1: Sure.
0: Firstly, I, I think that, or, or or let me ask you, Zero Two's hood, like when you're oh, when she, shit, I just it looks like I'm a Sorry, it looks like right. a cobra when she's walking and you see the back of her and you see that the hood with the the two circles. I know all the ladies. Hoods look like that, but first I think maybe the color palette on Zero Two's suit, the the, the Shaw Asnoble red suit, of course, which yeah. means she's oh three, three you... times as good as any other palette. That just made me think of uh, Cobra every time. I did time. not
1: even recognize that, but you're right, um, and I've also just realized I've completely skipped over something I did want to bring up regarding Ichigo, which is uh-huh. her you, her dialogue
0: I'm... with Hero in the hall, right? Oh yes, slash mm-hmm. Goro pushing them together.
1: <laughs> uh okay. I lo- I really love this scene, by the way. I-, I I liked it, but I just thought that this is... Okay, so to give you context, folks. So Ichigo and Goro are having a brief conversation in which he's like, you know, are you ready for this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And she's all like, pointing on a brave face, saying she's up for it. But she's worried about Hiro, because of course uh-huh. she is. Uh, Goro has still not told her, and I'm... Um, oh. When we get to what happens at the end of this episode, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be so it. <laughs> like, okay, so G- Goro doesn't tell her, of course, about what's happened, but she still has maybe a hint, perhaps, that something's not right, or she's just genuinely concerned because, let's be honest, she loves him. I don't think that's beyond doubt at this point. No, cl- um, yes, absolutely she does. And I'm not talking even a familial sense. I am literally talking romantic, yep. basic teenage love kind of thing
0: but she does not want to admit that
1: to herself. That's for sure. Well, I can't blame it. She could do so much better than that useless <laughs> fucking waste of time. But anyway, um, so Goro, by the way, um, spots Hero coming down the corridor and pushes Ichigo towards um, Hero to go speak to him and then teleports away. Because <laughs> t- when we cut back, like this, this whole scene is like close-ups of both characters. So one, lo- we're looking down one cor- direction of the corridor and one of the other. And the moment it cuts back to Ichigo, uh, there's no sign of Goro in the background whatsoever. He has literally vanished into the mist.
0: He's uh, he's behind her. And then at one point she looks up and sees him waving at her over Hero's shoulder or something as he's walking away. And I'm just like, did you do a dishonored blink to get to the other end of the
1: hallway? Yeah. <laughs> he's a jumper, clearly. Mm-hmm. So the conversation goes something like this. It- Ichigo, she doesn't really know what to say. She's kind of been pushed into this situation without being ready for it. So she fumbles things in the same manner that you would ask someone about the weather. You know, I, how are you feeling about this, etc. Mm-hmm. And Hero says, it's okay, Ichigo. I know that being a leader must be tough for you, uh, but I believe you can do it. And Ichigo says, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I reckon I can. I, I, I think I can do it. And then yeah, she I'll says, be counting
0: on you too,
1: man, bro dude, buddy. Pal. <laughs> she says none of those things, because what she wants to say, and what she nearly does says, Hero, I've always loved you. And she always she instead says, I've, I've, I've always thought of you as a sibling. Yes, that's right. Thought of you as a sibling. Yes. And Hero, because, you know, if ever I need my cavity loft insulation replaced, I will use him because he's a <laughs> dense <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Honestly, He is
0: very, very clueless about this.
1: Uh, he replies back, um, fully enough, given how he's treats Ichigo in the past, this is actually character for him. Ugh. He replies back, "It's okay, I think of you like that as well. And Ichigo's face is...
0: And so does Goro. <laughs> that was my favourite
1: bit of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, like... We're, we're
0: all like brothers and sisters
1: together. Yeah, you're not hooking up with me and you're sure as shit ain't hooking up with him. <laughs> you're stuck with Zorame and um, Mitsuru <laughs> And the kid who eats too much. Congratulations. That's a chocolate box of choice there, Ichigo. Fucking A. There's always Papa. Ugh. <laughs> no. No. So Ichigo's face at this point looks like, well, if you've ever taken a piece of A4 paper and scrunched it in your hands, and then looks mm-hmm. it afterwards, it looks like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. She's, oh, she's hurting. She's hurting in the hall. But then she she does really well, right? Like, um, she she takes it and turns it into determination.
1: Well, I'm going to get my determination going right now to talk about what is, in my opinion, the absolute Nadir moment of this entire show so far. So, let's just put it this way. You remember how earlier in this very same episode, I was annoyed at the presence of the fan service with regards to the girls in the showers. Now, I, as I said before, the dialogue's there. I don't think it was all that popular emotive to me. But as you've rightly asserted, Doc, and I do agree with, if you are if you are going to replace that scene, you need to keep that dialogue in. You need to at least have some sort of pre chat, pre sorry, pre battle banter to like humanize them a little bit. So you know, remind you that you know they do have regular feelings going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe the dialogue could be spiced up a little bit. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm projecting here, but I would certainly keep some sort of pre fight conversation between the girls in. Absolutely. However. What happens here, and I'm going to just give you a play-by-play of this... ...is after that scene, Ichigo gets on board the Frank, her Frank's Delphinium... ...and the shot is literally of her ass. It is just of her ass. There is no dialogue over this. It is just a hard cut to a shot of her ass in full close-up... ...and then a cut away to the proper cockpit... ...and then Goro starts speaking. Now, first point. That entire shot is unneeded fan service... And it is unneeded fan service in much the same way as it was previously with the shower scene. But the thing is, this is worse just because there's no dialogue in it. As as an editor, I could do a fan edit of this episode in which I could cut that shot out entirely and there's no loss of continuity from one scene to another because you still get the shot going into the cockpit. It establishes a change of location regardless. There's no dialogue over it. It is solely, solely there for fan service.
0: Ak- Akira Amemia will be mad at you because he storyboarded He he's storyboarded the
1: ass, so you have to put it in there. <laughs> I am mad at him for doing this. Because there's no in-universe reason. There's no it's not from Goro's perspective. We don't get like an inner monologue from him saying, like, oh god, why am I looking at this? There is not a If we did, thing.
0: he should be slapped, if he thought that.
1: I don't I g I, I, I agree. But I would at least have something I can point to anything yeah but well in fact i'll just pose the question to you doc and maybe this might be a bit unfair but can you think of a reason that that shot is there other than simply as contextless context free fan service oh no
0: no that that's it's it does not rile me up in in the way that it does you um simply because of the um the duration of it is so short and then the rest of the it's not like the episode is a wash in it you know, we get a ton of robot fighting, and we get a ton of, I think, really worthwhile moments with uh, Ichigo throughout the episode, including like a moment later in the ver- in the next camera shot. So it like it does not uh, upset me because of, of of that. It certainly doesn't upset me the way episode fucking two did. That was an abomination, but um, but no, like it 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 did not need to be there. It's absolutely just like it's fluff. It's Part of the selling point of the show is, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you take it, is this sort of fluff.
1: I have to say, I do also disagree with your assessment that the Ichigo has got most. I think that in the vast majority of his episode she just exists to get dubbed on, much as she has done in the entirety of the show. Mm. I cannot think of a single moment in which she succeeds at something that she wants to accomplish, with the possible exception of the closing moment, uh, which we'll get to, but that that her rallying the the rest of them to do that moment was spurred on by Goro. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's not like... You know, a lot of the characters fail in this episode. One in particular succeeds pretty wildly by the end. He suffered for it. Um, oh, oh, he succeeds in a way that I could not... <laughs> but, like, a, a few of the... No, it's A few of the characters do do fail, and, and yeah, Ichigo fails a lot, but I think it, t- the way I took it was not her getting needlessly dunked on. It was more, like... It was things I was interested to see. It was her It was her feelings, her true feelings. It was not her being humiliated or, you know, it wasn't her um, getting her face rubbed in the dirt necessarily. It was her reacting a very human way and needing support. And then also giving support. I think Delphinium kicked a ton of ass this episode.
1: I have to credit her at least. Yeah, I, I agree. Like when Delphinium is easily the most effective of the original four Franks, it's kind of silly actually to be quite honest how bad the others are at fighting god delphinium. they're bad <laughs> they're really bad and they have self-awareness about that That's can we fine. start
0: a um can we start a band called delphinium in the four franks
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, i will i will play the banjo <laughs> i will play the guitar. nice nice <laughs> good good shout good shout Okay, I'll get in more into stuff with Ichigo later. But... Okay. I, I In fact, no, I'll just say right now that I think in some ways, and I sent you a mean gif of this, or a mean image of this. <laughs> she is turning into the Rem of this show. Mm. She is... Yeah. I like Rem way a lot. Well, I like Rem way... Sorry, I like Ichigo more than most of the other characters with the exception of Zero Two, whose own star has kind of faded a little bit in my mind. Like, I've, I don't know, like, I've seen her acts now, and I'm just kind of like, okay, now what? And, well, the show shrugs at me. Oh, really?
0: See, I thought, oh, I thought this episode was, was some interesting things
1: from her we hadn't seen before. Might be nice if she said it herself rather than dappling in a fever dream, but we'll get to it. Uh, okay, so, the battle. The battle gets started, and the plan, as we mentioned last time, is that the 26 uh, Cookie Cutter Kids, uh, they will fold the front line. And the rest of the Franks, apart from Stralizia, will be in the rear defending the protecting tunnel, and Stralizia will be defending the opposite side of the plantation. Except not because for some reason Stralizia is just on the bridge looking over the battle. I don't yeah, know.
0: They're they're on standby.
1: <laughs> that's that's a mild continuity error that I don't really care about, to be quite honest. I just thought I'd mention it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So the battle begins, and as much as I like the animation of this battle. There's a problem with it, and okay. it's a problem. And it's a problem that I mentioned when we discussed Gunbuster of all things, which is that there's supposedly a hundred and fifty Klaxosaurs. Uh, yeah. Yes, there's supposedly a hundred and fifty Klaxosaurs coming at these guys, and <laughs> they're very polite Klaxosaurs because they come in in single files. They so- do. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, let's go to groups of five. We'll be outnumbered every time, but fuck it, this is our way.
1: <laughs> now, now serving number two hundred and thirty-one. Please bring your ticket forward to the Franks to be destroyed. Thank you. It's
0: it is a little, yeah. I was exp- like, I agree, what we got sort of in a vacuum was good, but yes, given the context of uh what this battle was meant to be, like yeah, I was expecting them to just be overrun. Like, I could yeah. not believe the desperate straits they were in, uh, having a handful of Franks, you know, outnumbered like 100 to 1, and or, or more. And the fucking, it just seemed like they could handle it with relative ease, except for the big GameCube bad.
1: Yeah, there's a number of things about this. First off, I like the fact that we gain a contrast between the Cookie Code Kids and how effective they are against our heroes, plantation 13's group mm-hmm. but it do- but in context it makes no sense they spend a- an order amount of time killing each klaxosaur with a group manoeuvre that against 150 of them in the swarm and, and bear in mind my level of tactics here involves basic starcraft play, <laughs> when, uh, play and you know knowing how to tech up to mammoth tanks in command and conquer but i think that if they did that they wouldn't have killed maybe even 10 of them before they got to the wall it's a slow process and it looks good, but it just doesn't make sense in context of what's going on. And the second thing I'll mention in relation to this is when we did Diebuster, I discussed specifically Diebuster how Diebuster, in my opinion, and I know there are going to be some dissenters, shouts to Alex, who very rightly did point out an alternative interpretation of Gunbuster's ending, which I hadn't realised that made the incomprehensible telling, not showing nature of it more clear. Although I'm not going to give Franks the same benefit of the doubt as he did. But the point being is that, in Gunbuster, they literally had to put on screen text saying, X amount killed, the gunbust machines are still here, because they were numbering in the quadrillions. And that was, in my opinion, the ambition of the text overrunning the ability of the animators to convey that. Because how, how do you convey quadrillions of things on a screen in a way that's comprehensible to your average audience person? Audience mm-hmm. You can't. And in Diebuster, they kept it down to a single entity that they scaled against an object that everyone's familiar with, the Earth. So you can think to yourself, Jesus, that's a big fucking thing. That's pretty bad. And that was a much more comprehensible end battle. So what I don't understand about the way this battle is formed is why have there be so many Klaxosaurs in the first place if you can't ultimately then deliver on that vision of animating them all in a big brawl? Why not just have it just be the GameCube Klaxosaur as a single entity? That is still threatening.
0: Yeah. I agree. I th- I think that th- clearly the creative subscribe to the Matthew Matosis school of Dark Souls criticism. By this, I mean, battles should be one on one. No engaging of multiples. That's not fair. You fight them one at a time, because that's fair to the players.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's, this is a, a silly reference that probably few people get. So I'm apologize for wasting your time but yeah no this is my way of saying i agree that i think it did not deliver on that promise you know having said that i i genuinely do think that the fighting we do get is slickly done yes really good moments solid animation like you said the the some of the poor pilots uh, of our our junior class here uh Thir- uh plantation 13 like are tripping over themselves and ichigo has to bail them out and i'm very glad that she gets to do that she gets to kill some glaxosaurs that's really nice to see yeah and she, and she does it looks well. good the the tw- the 26 kids um that sounds weird to say the <laughs> plantation 26 pilots
1: no i've got a new name i've got a new name they are the cabbage patch kids there you go Job okay
0: on. okay the cabbage patch kids As we said, do these group maneuvers that um, are weird given the stated circumstances, but just on their own look cool, and it's nice to see coordinated squad combat that is um, coherent and is successful and tactical in a lot of... In more robot shows than than not, um, you don't get a lot of that. You get robots that fuck up and aren't strong enough and then a big super prototype amazing bot that comes in and destroys everything, lays waste to all with a single punch, which I'm a fan of. Gundam Wing? But variety is a good thing. Please do not invoke the, the Gundam Wing on this podcast ever again, thank you.
1: <laughs> I will try not to, if at all possible. Uh, Hero! I mean, I, I mean f- Franks would benefit from a scene in which someone shoots someone as they fall out of an airplane after they've had a <laughs> The the one legitimately ten out of ten moment from Gundam. I I almost spit my
0: drink everywhere.
1: (laughs) You nearly did that to me last episode, Doc. So this is my revenge. What a glorious moment!
0: That's one of the better moments ever in my in just in my life.
1: (laughs) Seeing that it's so amazing. Okay, but we can't talk about that. Sadly, we we can't. YouTube. Just YouTube Lady Unkills General Septim. Yes. It's
0: incredible.
1: <laughs> and try not to get any Oblivion um, LPs while you're at it. ba 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 Anyway, so, hey... while this battle is going on, of course, and our heroes are not doing so hot versus the Cookie Cabbage Patch Kids, who are doing all right, inexplicably, because I assume this, a lot of the Klaxosaurs just said, Ah, sod it. Let's go to White Castle.
0: What if they just ran past the plantation? Yeah, they, they were going <laughs> elsewhere. Oh, we miscalculated. Sorry. Sorry, false alarm. Only we downgrade this to a code yellow. They're going to Neo Disneyland. <laughs> to Tron ride. They're due oh. to uh, to be
1: ushers in the line. <laughs> no, it's, it's, the, it's the amusement park from near Osmarsen. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. Yes, it is. Okay, so while this is all happening, Strelizia is, of course... Uh, stationed on top of the connecting bridge and Zero Two is watching from the little, like, gantry outside the cockpit while Hero's inside. Um, his Techno Cancer is killing him. Techno Cancer? <laughs> that's
0: that's a very good name for that, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, doubled oh, over.
1: Oh, wait until you have to, wait until I get to the point where I probably have to discuss the Techno Cancer. I think I never find say in my life, but the point being is that <laughs> I, I am, off oh, this fucking plot point but we'll get to it. It's not here yet. I've got to hold myself. I've got to strain my annoyance at this. Alright, so he's, of course, like he's struggling to breathe. He's in a pretty bad shape. And Zero Two says, uh, it hurts, doesn't it? Etc. Etc. And they have a brief discussion in which a hero asks her, why do you fight the Klaxisars? And on one level, I think that's a silly question, because the answer is, well, she's a soldier fighting in a war. She's doing what she's ordered to. But, but on the other hand, Zero Two is a free enough spirit that if she did want to fight the Klaxosaurs, I imagine no one would could make her do it. And and
0: he he sees the um the glee with which she relishes dispatching them. Yes. I think he's asking about that. So he's thinking that there's something extra that um makes that feeling manifest. He's like, what is what's that?
1: Yeah. She says maybe it's because I'm a monster and I'm a dissatisfied with this explanation, but I'm okay with being dissatisfied because I think that's mm-hmm. the intent. Because yes. the Claxosaurs that we've seen thus far are not meant to be like anything we can sympathize with. They're not even on the level of the fucking bugs from Starship Troopers. <laughs> because they existed in a satire in which the world was all built around not being empathetic or open to peaceful solutions. But in this case, the Claxosaurs are literally creeps in a multiplayer game. They are, you know, monsters to be hunted, monster hunter world style. That is it. There is nothing more to them that we know about at this point, where they come from or anything, and that is a mild annoyance of mine, but that's a different, massive, different time. So Zero Two's explanation is a parry, basically. She parries the question. She sends it, batting away. So, whatever. Mm -hmm. What did you make of um, Hero's answer? Because he has, what, because he... Oh, oh, right, okay, okay. I've complained before about the fact we don't see any people other than the kids and the adults that we know of. The military staff. Now, fully enough, Hero's answer on uh, similar two's should be very dissatisfying because I've not fucking seen a single average Joe in this entire show. I don't know what, uh, <laughs> you know, John Mc, you know, white collar does for a day living in here. Does he go to an office job in the plantation? Does he have water cooler conversations with his fellow colleagues about, like, you know, the fact there are saws outside the city and how well the local football team is doing?
0: It seems, a- it seems about as populated as the city in Monogasari.
1: It, it seems about as populated as, again, near or smarter, funnily enough.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: Now, this, this... Is, the fu- I, this is again the thing about doing a, a sequential, like, week-on-week analysis. So I'm going to pull out two possibilities. Either we're not going to get shown any adults because the show doesn't properly consider or take the time to do that and is lesser for it. Or B, because there simply aren't any. What a twist that would be if it turned out there literally just aren't Ooh. any adults anywhere.
0: That would be kind of rad.
1: I don't know what that would ultimately even in service of at this point, but we yeah. will find out. If it does end up being the latter rather than the former, though, I'm just going to be massively disappointed because we need the human element. Like, we want to care about our main characters. We want to care about the wider world and what they're fighting for. Well, we did We did
0: see... I, I just, sorry to... Like, this just occurred to me in my brain. The only time we've ever seen a large group of people was their graduation ceremonies.
1: Could have just been the military, though.
0: It could have just been... It could have just been a bunch of kids. I mean, I don't I'm, I don't recall... Uh, apart from the Star Chamber, you know, yeah. golden-masked folk.
1: Yeah. I, I, again, just have to keep thinking back to stuff like Frontier and even Gunbuster and so that we got to see the regular Joes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it helps, and, for sure.
1: It, it, and it helps sell the threat, but, um, well... We've got a giant GameCube with horns coming towards our city. I think this threat is already, you know, making a mockery of itself as it is anyway, so... <laughs> Well, can I say
0: here's what I thought of of hero's answer. I thought it was the the state reply. Like it was the the ah. it was very much a what you learn in church, what you learn in school, hand over heart this is what we pledge, you know. Gonna protect papa, gonna protect the plantation. This is what we are meant to do. We are born to do it. We have no other purpose. And Zero Two is just like,
1: "Meh, that's
0: lame." Like you don't have you don't have a reason of your own, you've been mm-hmm. you've been given this reason, and you've clung to it, and you you may live by it, and and it may get you through and and push you onward, but you don't have your own reason. And I think she's a little disappointed, and uh, I liked that.
1: I at least, yeah, I agree with uh, her assessment that is a lame excuse for it. But we already, <laughs> of course, know what Hero's real reason for wanting to do this is: is because well, he's inadequate without doing so, so to the point where he will do it even if it is killing him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and he's you know this is why we exist. Uh, I, you know, part of what he tells zero two and and yeah, it's it's um, but that you know what? Let's not spoil. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Continue, please continue.
1: Okay, so at this point, Strelizia, that is zero two and um, Hero decide. Okay, our friends are in a mild spot of bother, and well, let's go help them. Why not? So they do. Uh, this, by the way, does not actually cause any of the adults to, like, protest at this. Uh, you know, that they're going off plan here. Nope. And, again, this is me looking back at what happened in episode 5 and realizing that the setup is unraveling itself. I mean, okay, I already mentioned the mild continuity errors, like, of, like, that is not guarding the rear. But the rear never gets attacks in this episode after they go off position, so what was the point of that setup? shrug <laughs> Be- beats me uh oh actually something else i'll mention now because there isn't really a another time that is worth mentioning it do you recall how in the previous episode the mitsuru was a shaking mess
0: yeah they don't they don't give us any of that this time uh but that's only one episode that's he he doesn't really get any screen time apart from a you know a shot of his face while he's in the robot so like i will i i will forgive them if, if, you know for a bit on that because I feel like maybe they thought there are different things they need to accomplish this episode
1: they could have at least hinted that it somehow I mean I'm not expecting it to be uh, there's a lot to, there would have been a lot to cram in if they had to do with all this at <laughs> simultaneous what's
0: Mitsuru up to this week I still
1: poppin' pills <laughs> yeah <laughs> like... I would be surprised if he started vaping in his cockpit to be quite <gasps> honest oh god <laughs> let
0: me show me your rig Mitsuru
1: Oh my god. Your coils. What kind of coils you got? Heat in the fit. No, I'm, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think to myself, though, when it comes to this thing about meat series, that was set up in the previous episode in the run up to this. So, okay, again, we're doing a week on week analysis and maybe this will come back later, but it's the point where it matters so little for this episode that if it had never happened in the previous one, I never would have known. There's not even a mild hint of it. There's not even a moment where, like, he lingers or staggers and is like, uh, and then, like, you know is part um, of oh, it, am so sorry, I've forgotten her name again. Um Ikuno. Ikuno. It's not even the point where like that happens, and Ikuno's like, Are you okay? And he just immediately gets back up. I'm not asking that it be a major plot point, but just something that they reference briefly and they don't yeah. even do that. I think they'll get back to it. I hope. I just feel in some ways a lot of what happens in episode six feels like them just wasting everything that was brought up before. And we've not even got to the most egregious bit yet. The 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 big fucking cancerous elephant in the room which really really annoyed me but again why have that scene in mystery, if we're not even going to mention it in this bit like i don't know could, you could be right i hope you're right that it does come back later and is and is proper development but i'm also yeah. skeptical of that for a different reason which okay we get to.
0: okay yeah i just think the goals of this one were ass largely yeah well that that's always the goal uh and the battle right the the fighting and that that was, I mean, I think the majority of the episode was the fight, which I was cool with because last episode was none of the fighting and all the character buildup and tension. Um, and whether or not the fighting actually paid off all that tension, I think you could you could make a fair argument that, that it didn't. But that's why I think, like, it, I'm okay this time with them not dwelling on Mitsuri's condition at the minute because he's never, you know, I, I just don't know about, like, you know, taking the focus away from the other things to give him a minute here. But like you said, I mean, it couldn't have ta- it wouldn't have taken much, but um, but also, like, I don't know that they need to do it every single episode.
1: Not necessarily, but when it is part of an entire episode that is all build-up, I took everything that happened in episode five to be relevant to what was coming. And most of it, or mm-hmm. a lot of it, is not.
0: Yeah, I mean, he didn't, uh, I don't recall them m- sort of Fucking up in the battle in a particularly egregious way. No. Which would have made sense, I feel. That's
1: why, again, if Mitsuru had just stumbled for a bit because he's like, you know, his condition kicks in just briefly.
0: Yeah. Zorame was b- busy tackling uh,
1: <laughs> Delphinium. Aye. Okay, so back to the battle. So the smaller Klaxosaurs, all 12 of them for while, saw it, <laughs> at 150. I just
0: love it. When they're like, how many have we killed so far? Three, great,
1: fantastic. Great.
0: That's point not
1: not not four <laughs> percent. Keep it up. <laughs> nice new high score there for them. They did better last time when they, you know, got ambushed by facehugger Klaxosaurs and just got, but you know, bodied to use a fighting game turn. Oh, okay, Lord. so the cookie cut kids. Now the order has been given up at this point, not to at least until now, to not engage the GameCube Klaxosaur. So leave it alone. Fine, fair enough. W- mop up the stragglers so they don't distract you. Go for the big fish afterwards. Now, what happens then is that the uh, cookie cutter kids decide that they'll wrap the klaxosaur in their lances and electrify it, much as they did with the smaller ones. And this, as you would probably expect, does not work. And I'm actually okay with this, because it's actually a symbol, or rather an example of how groupthink, think like that, of rigid thinking. Because again, they're all... The same person basically just with mild differences, they're all piloting the same Frank model Franks of how that is ineffective in certain situations. I mean, you can make the argument. I'm, I'm speaking as someone who knows jack shit about military tactics and design here, but I think that there is a very good reason why you have different kinds of you know vehicles and tanks and such in modern military, in real life military, because they serve different functions for different um encounters and different um operations.
0: Darling in the tanks.
1: I would be okay with that. I would entirely be all right with that.
0: Look, you don't... Everyone knows you don't use the same tactics on the big bad that you use on the minions. Come on. It's never going to work. Never going to work in a million years.
1: No. So it stops the Klaxosaur for a moment, but then it turns out the Klaxosaur is not actually a GameCube, but instead is actually a Decepticon.
0: Yes. Devastator.
1: <laughs> because it turns into a giant bipedal monster. That again, gave me near flashbacks. Like there's a there's a boss fight with a kaiju robot in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers. Uh, and there's a theme that goes with that, and that immediately started playing in my head. I mean, you could make an AMV out of that. I would say
0: hmm. there's a cool as fuck, like well, metal as fuck, like design on that robot. Like the blue sort of luminescent part of it is the face. Like a skull or something, right?
1: Yeah, the, the face. It looks like a Lava Monster. Like, it, it, it's not too bad, although the horns are still a bit silly, but it's better than the GameCube. <laughs> yes. In fact, that actually makes me think that maybe that's the idea behind this Klaxosaur, that it was a boxed-up toy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, yeah. Episode 6 of Darling in the Franks is the unboxing video. <laughs> there you go, oh folks. Oh my god. Now, now I'm suddenly okay with it. So... Okay, the, the Klaxosaur, like, now is, like, 25 stories tall, and the smaller, fr- like, the Franks, the cookie Co kid Franks, uh, they try to, again, grapple it with their lances, and it just tosses them aside like they're nothing. Uh, one of them, um, with some guy inside whose name I don't know. Some, some guy. <laughs> some guy, comma, some. <laughs> yeah, he, his Franks' is knocks to the ground, and the... Klaxosaur is about to step on him and he tries to pull away and his Franks doesn't respond. Now it's been established previously, and this is a very minor nitpick here, but this is this is just silly to me. It's been established previously that Franks can be disabled if one or both of their pilots are knocked out. So when this happened and the little warning came up, I thought, oh, his, his co-pilot has been knocked out. Uh, no, it just turns out they're out of fuel. What?
0: What the fuck? Wait a minute. I somehow missed this. I... I have no recollection of this part. <laughs> he
1: no. He actually. He literally said, "We're out of fuel now." Of all times, and I'm like, "What?"
0: Hmm. You, the, the, he can't, he can't get it up. <laughs> Someone uh, give him a pill. <laughs>
1: get a toy. <laughs> Just keep it going. The Mecha Viagra. Give him one of yes. those. But okay, I get what they're trying to do here. In that they're trying to have him, you know, get crushed. And I thought, for one, I thought he was a goner because I didn't have any of those kids having any life expectancy in this episode. They were red shirts. But the thing is, you've established a plot point previously, or, or a, a world-building point, that Franks can be disabled by their pilot being out. So rather than having a really stupid explanation where they just ran out of fuel after five minutes or whatever of combat, I mean, they're not the robots from Ava with like long cables going into a giant battery here. So why not use the existing thing you've established that makes more sense? It's minor, so whatever, I just find point out. But what then surprised me was he doesn't actually die because Zorame saves him. Zorame, like, makes the save before he gets stood on. Atta boy.
0: boy, yapping dog. Do your thing. I could just see him, like, next episode, with a smug grin on his face, like, walking, holding his right shoulder, and then kind of spinning his right arm in a circle. Like, yep,
1: I got this. <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. So, okay... It now falls to um, Plantation 13's defenders, our unlucky Motley Cruel <laughs> heroes.
0: Banana peel slipping robot.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're gonna fight they're gonna fight this thing. And Ichigo half comes up with a plan, but then Goro explains the rest of it for her, which did annoy me a little bit. So I'm like, just let her mm. talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Goro is seizing the reins a bit too much for my taste in a lot of this episode. But Ichigo clearly has an idea, but like like he starts mansplaining for her. Goro. That, that's literally what it is and Ichigo's plan which I'll credit her because she came up for it before fucking Goro had to like you know intervene is alright we're gonna kneecap this motherfucker and then Strelizia's gonna deliver the, the the blow with the lance because Strelizia's weapon is the only one that can penetrate that deeply into the Klaxosaur wink wink. Hey hey the biggest phallic symbol of them all. Yeah to, to get the core for massive damage and I'm like Okay, that makes sense. But I then started having a creepy thought come into my head, which only got more prominent later on, which is that I've said before that Strelizia is overpowered, but it starts to get a bit silly that if they can make Strelizia that strong, why are all the other Franks is not similarly good?
0: Well, I think it's to do with the pilots even more than the robot.
1: It's li- They literally said, though, that Strelizia's weapon was the only one, and Strelizia bodies the fuck out of all of the other smaller klaxosaurs.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think right yes i think it is like part like the weapon but also if the pilots holding that weapon were not as skilled it wouldn't matter
1: i suppose but
0: this is what i think this so this is i think okay so this is an anime issue anime is extremely self-referential and there are things that happen that if you are steeped in it then you will pick up on, uh, but if you are not, then the the symbolism like is not can really conveyed to you m- maybe as effectively. I mean, I think we've seen how awesome a pilot zero two is, but I'm telling you, I mentioned this before: the fact that she is in a red suit, a a, a pilot in a red suit, uh, matters because that is a direct reference to Shaw Aznable, who is in the Gundam universe, the in mm-hmm. the uni- Universal Century timeline, probably the best pilot who, who ever lived. Certainly yeah. the most legendary. And, you know, he was called the Red Comet, and people had rumors about him being three times as fast and as strong as, as any human that could pilot, you know, and he's a legendary new type.
1: I would agree with you about Zero Two being the best pilot, but again, it takes two to tag with a Franks, and as we find out later, when Zero Two's on her own well yeah well and
0: that's i mean and hero is also no slouch right as as we as we find out later like yeah. he's you know he's a teen and so i, I this is a nice little touch i like about the show right that um even when the plantation 13 folks kind of fuck up and they're tripping over each other the plantation 26 leader the leader of the cabbage patch kids recognizes how far along they are for kids their age even when they're bumbling in combat he's like man they got another like teen code over there in that squad like giving a nod to like this this is a group that to the untrained eye may look uncoordinated but man they have a, a lot of potential
1: they do they do uh, i won't I won't deny that as definitely a good point but I'm gonna come back to Shazy being overpowered later
0: mm-hmm It
1: is. I mean, look, yes,
0: that's, this is, I don't want to disagree with your point. Like the pilots, the robot, like all that stuff. Yes, it is. The whole situation is totally OP and it's a, it's a fail safe, save the day thing. Although they kind of trick you a little bit in this episode with it. They, they, they pull the rug out for a minute.
1: Oh, they certainly pulled the rug out from under me with what happens later. But I'm thinking of a different thing than what you are, and it's <laughs> of, and it's one of those things. It's almost as egregious as the fucking dog from Elf and Lead. That's how angry it got me. But we'll get to it. We're going we're going there soon, folks. So the killing blow is struck on the Klaxosaur, but no. And after landing the blow, a Hero is now the can the techno cancer is actually spread up to his face. Hmm. You see, it, like also throbbing under his arm. Oh, just the word throbbing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Ooh. plenty of things were throbbing in this episode. Like my, <laughs> temple. My, my temple was throbbing as I watched Guilty. it. Guilty. So the klaxosaur does not take kindly to this tummy rub that it gets from Strelizia and flicks it. Sh- transforms
0: again <laughs> into this piston arm,
1: this giant battery ram that's rocket yeah.
0: powered. Fucking a! It's it's like a it's a it's a big O punch.
1: <laughs> It really was. I didn't know how to feel about it, but thinking on it, I thought, you know what? Fine by me. This Klaxasaur at least has a sense of style. I'm okay with that. So it punts um, Strelizier away and then hits it again with its now like gigantic, comically sized battering ram. And then when it punches Strelizia or batters it into the plantation bridge, uh, that's it for Hero. He taps out. He's done. Yeah, he gets. They get knocked the fuck out. Because you think.
0: Okay, they've they've put the lance in, but no, the the robot just gets punched, just fucking wailed on into a building. Yes, it does. And then the code is broken. Two codes are broken, in fact.
1: Oh, they are. Yes, because uh, after seeing this happen, that they failed to bring the claxar down, Ichigo breaks down, and as has happened before, uh, Delphinium goes offline. Because yeah, she thinks he's dead.
0: She thinks Hero is dead, yep. and he looks pretty fucking dead. you know the robot has become feral it's getting annihilated it's the third time that he's been riding with zero two there's all the rumors like it's it's all there she puts it together he's dead she collapses her person she cares about most
1: gone yeah goro tries to comfort her and and also reminds that we have to you know keep our heads in the fight here because this is not over fucking get up buck up it's not over. We gotta go home alive. <laughs> Which is a fair point from Goro, but I couldn't help but think to myself, you're partially responsible for this because you knew that he had the Techno Cancer and you didn't do anything about it. Nice one, Goro.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, any- if anything would change because they did need Strelizia in this battle as they do in every battle.
1: Yes. The point is, though, is that I'm going to spoil this ahead of time for you folks, and I don't know if it may very well come up in a later episode, but it sure as shit doesn't come up here. (laughs) Goro knowing about the Techno Cancer does not matter. The Techno Cancer. It does not matter that he knows. It is much the same as it is, again, maybe it'll come up later, but this is not something that uh, Ichigo learns about. It is not relevant to what happens in the episode, because, well, again, as we suggested last time, it does turn out the hero does live. So... It doesn't matter. It was a it was a thing that was established that they didn't utilize. <laughs> what the fuck is the point? The the episode five has all this wonderful build up and so much of it is in the service of eh. Why have it happen in the first place then? If it's not going to be relevant now, because everything's okay in the end. Like that's the thing I said about the journey. Like I didn't, I wasn't expecting hero to die. but I was expecting these things to be called out. That you know, Goro. Maybe doesn't necessarily have Ichigo's best interests or the team's best interests at heart when he should. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. <laughs> so whatever. That's a that's a thing that you don't need to pay attention to in episode five because it doesn't fucking matter. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, am I wrong here, Don? what's your What's your fall on this?
0: No, no, no. I I mean, I can't I can't think of anything to to counter what you've said, really. Um... It might, it might be relevant that, later. Yeah, Maybe. It could, I mean, could be, but yeah, for now, it looks very much like uh, Goro did a thing that was shitty, but it, it didn't end up mattering too much, given the way things shook out at the end of this episode. Uh-huh. There's so much more. <laughs> Even though there's a little runtime left in the episode, so much happens.
1: This is the point. This is the point where things really started bombing out for me, and I... I get what they were trying to go for here but I have a number of problems with how they came across it. So. He did. So first thing I want to point out here is that although this isn't revealed until a little bit later this is important uh, for a thing I'm going to discuss. Hero has actually been flat out knocked out of his driver's seat in the Franks. Now I am massively speculating here but the connection thing between the two pilots as far as I understand it has to happen when they're sat in the cockpit. Doesn't happen anywhere else. That must be how it happens. It would help if the show had explained this at any point, but it hasn't. So I'm going off wild speculation here, but it's okay. relevant for it's relevant for what's going to happen in a minute. It's a
0: deduction. I wouldn't say you're you're speculating. This is a reasonable inference you're making. It's the
1: only thing I can think of because it's the only way in which they seem to be connected in any way. But anyway, so hero appears in the dream world and he has a line, and this is again the show's wonderful tradition of things that completely crush the intended atmosphere and he just goes oh i died what if he can't take this seriously how the fuck am i meant to take it seriously oh i died like it's nothing what the flying fuck well he was already he was always dead because he was brain fucking dead that's why (laughs) i i don't know i mean how
0: should he react I guess.
1: With being a little less nonchalant than that. Like, the way it came across...
0: Well, I mean, I guess you're sort of assuming that his mind and body are of a similar sort of state. Like, perhaps he's very foggy. Perhaps he's not really... You know, I mean, like, when your spirit's passing on to the afterlife, I I think it's a fairly sort of common thing to just kind of... You're overwhelmed and don't have all your wherewithal and wits about you. And... You just sort of wake up and you're just like, wow, this is it. You know, he's he seems to be coming out of a a, a haze and kind of letting go sort of of his previous situation. But it, all this to say, it didn't bother me. It didn't uh, you know, it didn't uh, affect me too much because he was you know, that was him he was he was letting go, he was giving
1: up. He was like, Well, I tried. It was the very first thing he said though. That it's not he didn't question it. He was like, I wouldn't mind if he'd gone, Am I dead? I don't know. But he's just like, oh, I'm dead. Because he saw Naomi, I guess. Oh, uh, Well, well, about that. I'll get some more, but <laughs> this rea- this reaction honestly came across to me in the same way that you would be upset if you got blown up in Ikaruga when you're playing on the arcade. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, I got shot in time crisis. Oh, I'm dead.
0: Well, he's not in any pain anymore, at least in that state. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, okay. I under, I do, un- I understand where you're coming from.
1: And okay, let's talk about Naomi. Okay. It has, to my knowledge, not been established that she is actually dead because there is a line in episode two that states that she's in the hospital. Right. So she's not dead. <laughs> or if she is dead, it has never been mentioned to us. You Whoops. literally you literally mentioned in the fucking first episode we did that she would be a millstone around his neck. How mm-hmm. right you were. Uh, you also mentioned that he is Jesus in one point as well. Yep. So again, yes. Doc, you are on point for predictions on this. Congratulations, my friend. <laughs> He very much
0: is Jesus. Yes. You have know, smelled
1: out the show's own bullshit. Congratulations. Um, so, yes, this, Maria, like, says, okay, are you happy with what happened? Like, I, I tried. I got to fly for a bit. I'm happy. And she's like, liar. You're a liar.
0: Just screwing your partner over again, leaving him yeah. out to dry.
1: What a surprise, hey? Selfish, selfish. Yep. Yeah. So, after that, we then cut to a scene of Zero Two stood before the White Tree of Gondor. No, not that. Sorry, <laughs> no. And he's like, "Wait, why are you? Why are you sad?" I'm like, "How do you know she's sad? You're looking at her from behind." But, but anyway, minor fine. And he's like, he starts remembering like what she said about being a monster and how people were afraid of her because of her horns. And we this cuts back and forth, by the way, to images of Zero Two going completely apeshit. She's Which I thought her. was awesome. This was
0: terrifying. That- was so important for us to see and so like here is her just entirely alone, entirely vulnerable, fighting for her life, everything leaving leaving nothing on the table, holding nothing back, bear bearing everything to survive. and she's has aban- been abandoned by her partner, you know, we see in spirit in, in on that side of things hero sort of feeling her sadness and and disappointment and despondence at being alone Mm. but uh Mm. but man seeing her desperate struggle was like yeah was was pretty powerful and painful it it physically hurt me to to see her going through all that that was um that was rough and certainly this is a side we've not seen of her
1: yeah i'm conflicted on how to feel about this because hero dying at this point is in part her fault i'm not Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking or making an STI metaphor. That's crass. That's silly. I made that joke last time, but I didn't genuinely mean it. I'm not calling (laughs) her a slut. What I am calling her out on is the fact that she knows that he was ill. Like, he was severely sick, and she just didn't let it happen. She just thought, I'll chance it. I'll see if it works. I'm conflicted on this because if it's her raging to survive and also because it's happened again to her, I get that. But just letting it happen and not Doing something about it. What did you expect? Uh,
0: what? what well, what do you think? What do you think she ought to have done? Something.
1: <laughs> like th- did she just let Hero pilot with her, and it has killed him. And if she's ra- if she's raging because she's upset about that,
0: when she's well, near death, she's near death as well.
1: Okay, I'll. I'll, I'll she's allow being it. smashed to pieces. Uh, can I briefly come back to the fact that? It's all well and good that the robot's smashing Strelizia against the wall here, but it really doesn't come across like they're in any immediate danger. It's got scuff marks. Oh, really?
0: It. I, th- I see. I think. I mean, you're seeing the cockpit like vibrate violently, and his fist is crashing down upon the fi- the the animal robot that is like trying bravely to stand its ground. Like, I, to me, it was communicated like th- they're in the shit.
1: I don't. I don't know with the with the ongoing way that has felt OP. And the fact that there weren't any other warning signs, like, there's no alarms in the cockpit or anything like that. They're not like, you know, nothing's on fire, there's no smoke. There's no, I, I expect, I just wanted a couple more visual hints that they were in a really serious immediate danger because the fact that they survived the first two blows with barely scuff marks on them and not like Strelizia missing an arm or anything.
0: More battle damage. Battle damage necessary.
1: <laughs> yeah, going back to Ava, there were moments in which the Avas did lose, like, arms and limbs and such. And...
0: Mm-hmm, yes, for sure
1: and it did genuinely across, come across they were in serious danger when yeah. they were running out of power. The, the warning lights were on and everyone was losing their shit. Like, you've got people at Nerve like ringing other people on the phone. Like, oh God, this is going wrong. We need to do... This.
0: Yeah, no, they don't... It, it's not that powerfully conveyed. You're absolutely right. They they don't do as good of a job there as as that show did. I guess I thought that anything was possible at that point because... And they were in real danger because... The standard Strelizia kills Klaxosaur method that has worked the previous five episodes. The robot just got up and said "fuck you" and n- crushed, <laughs> crushed it against the building, killing hero basically. And yeah, th- and we see just seeing Zero Two so desperate, like communicate. Like I was like, oh my god, they are, yeah. And then the rest of it, but like, but yeah, um, uh, but I, I yeah, no, they could, I guess, like an alarm and a panicked hq would not have gone amiss there no. for sure
1: or even things like the screens cracking on the inside of mm-hmm. astralisian structural damage sure. s- smoke fire mm-hmm. because once once hero does i'll come i'm gonna come back to this later but i just want to mention once he does get back up as treasure is in action again it's like none of it ever happened all the scuff marks are gone business as usual
0: pristine like new mint Smoke free home.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's no grit to it. It's just
0: impervious. These, these robots are classy. They have the clean faces mod. No scuff marks.
1: Well, you know, get the buff and shine on, you get the proper, you know, program for your giant mechanised robot when you take it through the car wash, make sure it's, you know, properly waxed and valid. Now Hero, on the other hand,
0: looks like absolute dog shit. He's dead. When but... he wakes up. Oh. Well, oh.
1: well, 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 well. Well. <laughs> okay, this is it. This is it. This is the fucking Nadir. This is the Elf and Lead, the dog is back after one episode moment. Because Hero comes to realisation that he wants to pilot with zero two. to, you know, to care. talk out of carefully. I thought to myself, didn't we have this in episode four? And you might say to me, no, no well, sh- well, Shad, didn't you just literally say that maybe he didn't mean it previously because that's how he acts? And I would say, you're right, but we're now going round in circles to the same conclusions we've already made. This is really redundant. It's different. So he in four, he has he he's still
0: I think chugging off of the selfish motivation. You know what I mean? He says we were mad because he said he found a pair of wings to grab a hold of. He took he took them for himself, and this time he says something quite different.
1: Well, he do- he says that in his head, but what he says to zero two in particular. Uh, in 4 and if that's the case though it still portrays him as a shithead we we don't win whatever interpretation of this you want to take
0: sure I mean he's a yeah he's a growing kid they're, they're all like you, you've you pointed this out before too they're all kind of shitty and figuring shit out you know I mean he definitely had more selfish uh, or not even selfish you know because it's a lot of the, his line he towed was about protecting other people but it was very self focused and concerned with his own kind of fulfillment and satisfaction. Whereas, the what he ends up saying here is that like his wings exist for zero two. He wants to fly not because it brings him any kind of fulfillment, satisfaction, what have you. Uh, he wants to do for her, I guess, to protect her. So yeah, I've, it, he's he feel he's changing somewhat. You know, I, I feel like this is a significant shift for him.
1: Mm. It felt like a significant shift previously though And then it's undermined itself So I'm just incredulous as to what's happened going forward
0: Well I don't know Did it feel like a shift? You mean episode 4? See I thought in 4 he totally was still like You know Haha I got my wings Whereas now he's like We're like the (sighs) Gion
1: God you're right actually He does specifically mention that He didn't mention it previously Like okay maybe Maybe you're right Maybe it is him Unpricking himself To a small degree
0: To a small degree
1: we're six episodes in and we've just basically gone round in circles in my opinion
0: Mm. for for him but for her i think so all right so going back to what you said about her not doing anything like then this is this is total speculation on my part but like i think that everyone that pilots with her like there's potential for that person to go through a very painful process to get to the point that Hero now finds himself at at the end of the episode, and a lot of people don't make it. Hero made it
1: because he's a special specimen.
0: And so, like, sh- yes, it, the the show has been very upfront about <laughs> about saying that yeah, he's so special. Uh, but like, yeah, so so that I think is why she's not in any hurry to be like, no, don't pilot with me. You know, we don't really see her how she acts with other people, but with her darling, she has very high hopes for. And she's always said she's had high hopes for, and I think those hopes are that he could overcome this trial. Not with what she said to Ichigo in the previous episode. If he dies, I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, like you said, it's armor. It's deflection.
1: Okay. Like, okay. Clearly, fine, clearly, she fine.
0: doesn't feel that way. I mean, I think that we absolutely felt that at the time, and and still feel that. That like, oftentimes, especially in her dealings with this with Ichigo, who she knows has feelings for Hiro as well. Like she's mm-hmm. she's cagey about how she really feels and uh, and in a certain way i mean if he does die like he will have been someone who who didn't live up to her expectations because she really did believe like you know she 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 cares about this darling she believes he'll make it through but if you know if, if he doesn't then he he did not have what it what it took now i believe she's very happy that he did have what it what it took
1: if we keep having to have um, this plot point key coin back up, though, it's just going to get really old really fast. I- I'm not necessarily against characters taking steps back, but Hero <laughs> never really started from a likable position to begin with. He's been a bland, a bland, like, gray splurge on this show. He is... I've Has he been your techno-cancer? Yes. And and unfortunately, unlike the techno-cancer, he will not go away. <laughs> Speaking of which, speaking of which, so when so when he comes to this realisation, and this is why I said before he was no longer connected to Zero Two yeah. at all. After he comes to this realisation, the techno-cancer is cured. It goes. It's gone. That's it. What the fuck? What? We don't even know what this condition is. It certainly wasn't the thing that killed the previous people that we know of, otherwise it would be a known factor. All we know is it's yellow blood cells, which I can't believe I didn't pick up on previously. I thought, that's bollocks, because that's jaundice. (laughs) And he's certainly sure as shit not suffering from jaundice. So he cured it through the power of his emotions. Fucking really? What horse crap?
0: Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. And well, look, this is going to be possibly hypocritical of me because there are certain non-robot shows that when they do this sort of thing it it could be off-putting to me but i feel that it is the essence of the super robot genre to have human will made manifest in some way to have a a hot-blooded miracle if you will occur and as you like like not unlike what you were saying with gunbuster and animating 13 quadrillion robot uh, or alien deaths like it's kind of, it's hard to convey those things happening right and, and that that kind of abstraction put to animation um is can, can be challenging and i think yes i so i just i think it's a trope uh it's a well-worn sort of thing but um for for me and my super robot shows i am i'm entirely fine with robots or pilots or whatever miraculously overcoming obstacles like i'm i'm totally cool with that and i understand people not being satisfied with that being my opinion <laughs> but but i just think it's a staple of of this stuff
1: that's fine i'm, I'm not gonna this is a your made very thing but i also have to tie it back with the fact that this was again established with goro knowing about this but now it's just suddenly not a issue anymore that
0: is a problem i think that's that's a a thread that was dropped i maybe they'll address it later but for now, it looks bad.
1: It feels very deflating as well. That but... okay. Let me address something else. This episode feels like it's the end of the season. <laughs> it sort of does. It sort of does. And yet, it's not. So when they start pulling this shit out of the of the woodworks, what else is going to happen? Like I mentioned before, Australia being OP. If they have a fight again, how am I meant to be feel any tension about this? Like yeah, they've now solved heroes dying. So he's not going to obviously have this happen again.
0: Well, but now Zero Two is on the downswing. She looked very mortal and very vulnerable, and he came out of the cockpit holding her up, which Ichigo was like, you could see on her face, like,
1: "Whoa, <laughs> didn't expect that." To be fair, though, they also established that Zero Two heals very quickly, so I'm not that cons- sure. I'm not that concerned. Oh yeah,
0: no, 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 no. Yeah, for that that is true. But um, but yeah, no, like. I- of where we go from here oh I know where we're going and we're going to get to it it is is anyone's guess I mean it's you know mystery man shows up at the oh, very end but oh. uh...
1: <laughs> I okay so yes uh, hero lives I don't know by the way how he got this inside to zero two 2 because he wasn't connected anymore via the Franks whatever doesn't matter they don't connect it spiritually. Because
0: he was dead. So he was like floating in the ether. And you could be like, oh, this is the manifestation of your feelings. And when you touched your horns to me, we connected. And I feel what you're feeling, Cobra lady. <laughs> and I will not abandon you. I will no longer fight for myself. Allow me to revive myself from the dead and twist and split this GameCube formerly GameCube Klaxosaur into Blue
1: Bits. I swear, right, if it turns out that Hero was created through something called Project Lazarus, I will not watch any more of this show. I will quit. It. <laughs> if it's Project fucking Lazarus or Project fucking Osiris or something like that, I'm, I'm a call it quiz. Fuck it.
0: What if the lab? What if the lab is called Nazareth? then what will you do drink <laughs> myself into an early
1: grave <laughs> so so yes stralizia reactivates they pull the plan off against give it an opening and this side hero does streak the weak spot for massive damage and this bit i just threw my hands up because the saw flies into the air uh, as they drive it upwards a pair of angel wings sprout and i'm just like that was
0: so fucking awesome that was amazing Like, the wing explosion because the two of them have, like, become the Geon. Like, that
1: was so badass. I really felt like this jump the shark. That was so good! (laughs) But I will make a concession here that I am following that feeling of that jumping the shark. Followed on how I was feeling up until that point. So it's not unreasonable for me to say that it's just my mileage on that one. And I'm not going to say that it's objectively bad or anything. God, I can't say about anything. But you get my point. It's just to, me, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. me, it just felt, wow, that's real silly. But anyway, anyway, so yes, um, they win. The Klaxosaurs are all good. All, all 15 of the Klaxosaurs, sorry, I'm mean at 150, are now dealt with. <laughs> and there's no credit, like, there's no credit sequence this time either. They have um, a couple of closing scenes, much like it did with episode one, actually. Uh, Ichigo starts crying when she sees hero come out. And I just thought to myself, just go to a better anime, love, please. You're too good uh, you're too, <laughs> you're too good for this place. <laughs> find, find a better man. <laughs> or
0: lady. Oh, shit,
1: I've just remembered. Also, Doctor fucking... <laughs> Dr. Fucking... Dr. Franks, he just shows...
0: Yep, he, he wandered out of Mega Man Legends again, into the shot.
1: <laughs> I, I was like, where the fuck have you been, Gramps? <laughs> I know.
0: He got excited when he saw him come back to life.
1: <laughs> he was like, ooh. Is he on day release from the care home? I just finished my game of Shuffleboard. What's this? Heroes resurrected from the dead. How interesting. Nana, by the way, looks so surprised this. I actually thought that off screen he had grabbed her ass again. <laughs> I would not. That fucker. It would not surprise me. Yeah. So yeah, that all happens. There's a, like a couple of shots like the kids um, from 26 and 13, like, you know, meeting ups and shaking hands and stuff. No one has actually died. And that genuinely surprised me because I absolutely thought at least one mm-hmm. of the 26 Cookie Cork kids would be dead. Yeah. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Characters don't need to die to necessarily sell um, the gravity of a situation. I mean, to be honest, if that had happened at that point, I would have probably not liked it because everything was so goofy. It just... It, didn't, it would not have set well with you, probably. You'd be like, this episode, you died in this
0: episode. <laughs> ooh, 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 there's one more. I have one more part. When, you know, Hero... Is talking about his his new kind of reason for flying and for being. They have zero two a brief line of inner monologue, uh, or inner dialogue, rather. It's not necessarily an answer to Hero, but it sort of is because she says she's you know she says I'm going to have to kill a lot more klaxosaurs. and it just what a tease. So interesting because, as you said, in the middle of the episode, you know she says she fights and kills because she's a monster and then at the end of the episode they drop that it just makes me so curious like what is driving this girl on what does she want
1: it's a better hook than what happens after that
0: oh this is this is some bullshit this is like, i hate this i mean it oh it's so stupid i really dislike this thing when when anime does this or anything does this um it felt fucking it felt like some a garbage sherlock ending <laughs> It's
1: Moriarty again. <laughs> oh, okay, so let's discuss the concepts of post-credit scenes in general. And the point of reference I'm going to use here is one that you, your average view you, you yourself may be very familiar with, which is that from the first Avengers movie. Uh, Avengers Assemble in the UK or the Avengers yes, whatever. So there are two post-credit scenes in that film. One of them is of the group of Avengers, Iron Man, etc., eating charmer in New York City. Now, that's a play on a line that Tony Stark says earlier after the fight's over, and it's just a nice little bit of comic relief after everything's winding down after the battle's over. Don't mind Nine of Slices, it's not plot-relevant, it's just funny that they're actually literally eating Sharmua after the invasion is dealt with. The next scene is the Hulk breakdancing. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Hulk breakdance like Grandmaster Flash. (laughs) You really can't touch the Hulk okay so the next scene is the one in which Thanos is revealed to the audience the guy who creepy skeletor face man was speaking to earlier in the film before the invasion actually happens where loki's there. now i actually don't mind this and i'll tell you why i don't mind this because for one Thanos was an established character in Mar- marvel canon uh mm-hmm. generally speaking he's a he's fan service for the next bit you don't you, if learning about Thanos, if you don't know anything about him, you actually learn about him from watching Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and then Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So he gets properly established later, on a very personal level, by the way, and a very effective level with how he treated Gamora and Nebula. Um, but he gets established for non- people who are not in the know later. He's fan service. He's like, a, ooh, that's neat. Now, that's an example, I would say, both cases of good post-credit scenes, because they're not plot-necessary. You don't need to know that Thanos exists to understand the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy because he's properly introduced in that film of itself. Nor do you need to know about it for any of the other Marvel movies then. And the Sharma thing is just comic relief. Now let me tell you about an example of a really bad fucking post credit scene. And this is not <laughs> Darling in the Franks, by the way, but I'm going to just use this as contrast. Because it's actually meant to be exactly the same as the Thanos scene, but it doesn't work. And it's from Ruby season 3. Your favourite. The season which killed my interest in the show so dead... It, I had to literally bury it outside. Okay, now to give you some context in the in Ruby, the enemy forces are monsters known as Grimm, and there is a narration over the post credit scene um, in this like crystalline alien looking environment of some lady, and we see this lady who's a human looking Grimm, and. She, as it turns out from what I've read of later seasons, because I absolutely refuse to watch any more of them, because why would I invest my time in something that utterly pissed all over my interest in the show? But anyway, she turns out to be the main villain. Now, here's the problem with this. Thanos, in the Avengers, he you did not need to know he was the main villain behind the stream, behind the scenes. He was established properly later, and you did not need to know about him at that point. This lady, named Salem... You have no fucking clue, even if you were a Ruby fan, um, who she is. Because she was never established in or out of the show prior to that point. It's just there as a, co- as a really bad cock tease, essentially. And I was, su- I was supremely annoyed at this because I thought, this is literally your hook for the next season. I have no context for who this is. It's just mystery and shock value that's devoid of any substance. It's crap. Franks takes this... Just a tiny little bit further because not only is it like a bunch of fucking dudes who we've never seen before, it also actively contradicts what's going on in the fucking battle because we see these three guys. one maybe I I don't. I wasn't paying much attention to this part. I was just seeing red, whatever. <laughs> and they have a Frank's with them. It, it's established with the leg. Why were they not in the battle? Okay, maybe this will be explained later. Fine, but who the fuck are these people? Like. They mention, like, what was it? What the the blonde one says? The one who does look like Cypher? Well, well, y- Yoda 9. Yo- That's it. What? Who? What? What is... Th- who are you? What are you? Why are
0: you? I can tell you why. Why are you is... Here's a character design for everyone who hasn't been enjoying the character designs or hasn't found one they really like. Yeah, Maybe you'll get to see him in the bath. Ugh. Maybe it won't even be a him. Like we just had, we, yeah, it's, here's a here's an appealing character design that you'll get to see next week. I, I'm sure that they've, you know, written an arc and all that shit, but like just sticking it here at the end of the, this, whenever... I don't know. I thought the episode ending was quite
1: good without this. I did not enjoy this "hello" moment. Well, here's the thing, right? I watched this episode and I paused it with ten seconds left because I just wanted to tweet something out about it. And then I played, it was like I, li- it was like it knew I had just tweeted out and I didn't like it and just said, "Oh, oh, right, really, motherfucker." Well, here's something else that you don't like, bitch. <laughs> oh. Okay, so let's do a comparison direct with episode five going into episode six and episode six going into seven episode five's build-up and the momentum it brought into this into this fight was all massively done we've got many things established and set up potential conflicts potential situations that can arise meets through being a potential weak link heroes techno cancer the drama with each go uh, the fact that the battle is established to potentially be very fatal and with great consequences and great stakes at hand. Now, disregarding the fact that I feel it didn't really deliver on any of that, going into episode seven, all we have is hints that Zero Two has a troubled past, which we already kind of had and just got a little bit more of, and these guys. And what a staggering admission of a show to make that it has dealt its car, it's dealt its hand, dealt very little and now has nothing to really hook you in apart from this incredibly cheap, this cheap tactic of establishing mystery characters for mystery's sake. It's absolutely shocking. Shambolic. Yeah, the contrast between the transition from 5 to 6 and 6 to 7 is mind-blowing. It it was
0: real dumb. I really did hate it. What the fuck, man. And I, I could grow to like that character, who the fuck knows? But yeah, this that drop-in was... Poop.
1: I'm really worried as well that this is just going to be a trite case of a rogue group of Frank's pilots who are like, got their own agenda So I don't know.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I, I, my assumption is that, like, they know Zero Two. Or at least he does. Everyone knows Zero Two. This is...
1: This doesn't... Like...
0: Well, by that I mean, like, really knows who she is about her past. So we can kind of get into more of her past. And that, you know, he... Yoda 9 might be sort of his own designation for her or something weird like that. This is just my wild assumption, um, given, you know, as you say, we've been we've been left with hints and wanderings at Zero Two's past, and then here comes this guy. Yeah, the visual cues and, and it, all that just, uh, that is what made me think that. But I could be
1: entirely wrong, who can say? If it was truly about something, they hid that, they could have dropped that at the end to truly give it a hook. Where he reveals the facts, he tells us something something we didn't know previously. The only thing I didn't know previously is that they the show could somehow bottom out even harder than it's done previously. Great, congratulations, oh, do you think this episode was worse than episode two and three? I think that individual moment uh, oh yeah,
0: okay, okay, was okay, okay. a nadir. yeah, it was one of the bad ones for sure. it was so brief and so inconsequential that like. It it d- didn't affect my enjoyment of the overall episode very much, but like, yeah,
1: we agree, it' bad. This episode had already floundered for me so hard that this just felt like the cherry on the shit Sunday. So, yeah, okay, that's it. That's Frank Six. Do you have anything else you want to discuss about the episode, Doc? Or have we covered everything? Man, I think
0: I think we pretty exhaustively covered everything. So I'll just say that I give this episode of Darling and the Franks four red cobra hoods out of five.
1: Fair enough. Uh, For me, you already know all my reasoning on this. I actually was going to go in harder on this episode with a working theory I had about Franks really, utterly undoing itself with how its fan service and its direction contrasted with the message they were trying to get across. But I'm going to hold that to my chest for the time being until the show is complete and see if that bears fruit or not. And I don't want it to, but If it turns out to be the case, I think Franks is actually going to probably be one of the worst things I'll have ever seen. But I don't want it again. That's just a theory. We've got 18 more episodes to go. We'll see. For now, I am going to give this episode, and this is mostly on the merit of the action scenes and the music, and not so much anything else. I'm going to give it 3 out of 5 Swedish modded giant (laughs) game cubes.
0: Bull HQ building. Yes. (laughs) Like, man, I did not expect, that's very high. That's very, i much higher than I thought that you would go.
1: Well, this is true. And I've spent most of this episode complaining, but the action is legitimately great. But I can't really discuss it much more than say the action is legitimately great. I don't have the language tool necessary to properly convey that. I'm not an animator. I'm not a Sakaga guy. I'm a man who focuses on his narrative, but can still appreciate great action. And the action is great. But everything that's, like, sandwiched in and around the action is, a lot of it, at least to me, is, with the exception of certain bits about Zero Two, absolute cack. <laughs> I uh,
0: I do hope that, how do I say this? So, the, the moments at the end of Six, with Hero calming Zero Two's rage, you know, hugs her, she calms down, he, he caresses her head, says, like, you know, I'm here with you, I'm not going to abandon you. This is him, you know, saving her, him pulling his weight as one of the co-pilots of Strelizia and coming through and helping, being a, a huge part of why they win this fight. Previous episodes, it has been exactly the opposite. Zero Two has, has had to drag him along and hold him up and support him. And she has been the reason that they have won. I think taking all the episodes as a, as a whole, like this is a nice thing of them supporting each other. There, it's not you don't have the man hero saving the day exclusively. He's been, you know, he's had his bacon hauled out of the fire by her way more times. It's nice that he got to contribute and do a part, uh, do his part, and and help, and, and as he grows as a person. I just hope that the rest of the show is not that. It, I hope the balance doesn't tilt heavily toward hero saving the day exclusively because then it will just feel less special than if Zero Two or them together are kind of doing it.
1: I have to say, though, that I don't have much hope for that because the characters in the show themselves make a mountain out of him. They They worship him, basically. They have done, but
0: he's still gotten you know, he's still fallen on his face a lot of times.
1: I don't know. I'm not confident. <laughs> I'm more than anything just upset that all of the promise that Five held and the fact that in some ways, it almost feels to me like this show is serialized when it actually isn't. Because mm. Serialized shows often have bad episodes and good episodes and that's fine. Like You can watch Star Trek and you can cherry pick the good stuff and not watch any of the bad stuff. This is a linear narrative and if it is the case that we've got so many different people storyboarding, like the f- fucking Acura putting in that butt shot <laughs> as, a, as opposed to the otherwise masterful storyboarding of the previous episode by a woman read into that what you will by the way folks, maybe it needs an overriding vision behind it rather than a motley crew of people taking different duties each week. Maybe it needs a showrunner like, like a Masaki Yuasa or a Shoji Kawamori with a consistent vision for what they want to do. I think that anime will never
0: be this, or at least it has not been for decades and decades since, since it started. And it's talk about not having hope. I'm not, I don't have a lot of hope that it will like, it's very much a collective endeavor all the way from top, from top to bottom. And you have your auteurs, you know, to be sure but even in the case of someone like Yuasa or Kao Cal Mori Cal, especially Kao Mori on some projects he's worked on like you know there have been there's always episode directors always different storyboarders always different people directing animation just because the endeavor is so massive and the the work ethos is a collective one yeah is, is, a, is a team based you know what I mean so it's you know, uh, that's why I, I'm glad that we're shouting out these people who are kind of heading up the episode, because this sort of stuff, I think, is uh, often overlooked and kind of praise or blame is laid at the feet of head writers and directors and everything. And they certainly play their part in it. But like, you know, sometimes, you know, you could you could throw uh, Shoji Kawamori in into a project and the project will still only be as good as the people drawing it and the the story that has been come up with and you know all that sort of stuff
1: Mm. i'm not going to downplay or deny the individual creators behind this what i'm saying is that there needs to be a consistent idea yeah okay okay i see what you mean Yeah. yeah there's not i i don't yeah i don't feel yes
0: yes there's it is lacking singular vision. Yeah,
1: and I don't know what I'm meant to take Frank's as. Is it meant to be sexy and provocative? It certainly doesn't come across nearly enough as that for that reason alone. You have to sit through a lot of stuff to get to the actual provocative bits, to be honest. So it makes their presence all the more out there, sticking out like a sore thumb. Is it about the character drama? It's not great, so that's not a selling point for it.
0: How dare you?
1: The robot action is probably the best bit of it but the can it be about all of the things
0: i like i like a mixture of all
1: i've seen shows that do that i macross mm-hmm. frontier how many times mm-hmm. have you keep raising the specs of macross fucking frontier <laughs> <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's got all of those things it's got fan service of the fucking wazoo frontier is so good holy shit it's got great character development and it's got great fights it has all those things and that's why i'm saying why can't franks do this because i've seen it done elsewhere yeah and this is a cap. this is a capable studio behind this
0: i i know given <laughs> i said a lot of things a minute ago but these folks are no shoji Kawamori. <laughs> and it is a co-production so perhaps this is sort of part of the perils of co-production too many cooks the that that they're yeah that things are even more fragmented and you know perhaps communication is harder i mean we just it's hard to know i mean we perhaps will never know in in the west or perhaps later interviews or will be translated and we can have some more insight into this yeah process and everything but but yeah no i i really do hear where you're coming from like um the show isn't as coherent as as it could be yeah
1: well let me just end on this point then doc what in your opinion is the show meant to be about narratively and thematically.
0: I don't I don't I I don't know where of the
1: way in and it doesn't it hasn't established that. Yeah. That's I'm bad. not, I'm not sure,
0: like I think I have I have theories. Uh I I won't know whether I'm on the right track until the end. I mean I think it is certainly as you say about robot fights and sex appeal. But as to the purpose of the motifs as to the nature of these kids piloting and what that's meant to signify, and kind of the dystopic world, like all these things, like there's there's so much that I don't know that it's it's hard to say. We're um, and
1: again we're a quor- we are a quarter of the way in and we don't know. That's damning. and Knight did that in one episode. It's true. It, this i to get mad again so I'll cut this off quickly but that honestly to me feels kind of pathetic that they can't even get that, can't even give a, people a solid answer as to what it's about six episodes in in a 24 episode show yeah. up your game Franks for fuck's sake <laughs> I I think
0: you know, I hope that it's otherwise but I'm I'm thinking that that this show the narrative and the themes and, and what it wants to quote unquote say you know while all that stuff will be there i think that it might be secondary to to things like uh character designs and aesthetic and merchandising and that sort of stuff
1: Toy sales
0: yeah figures yeah pillows (laughs) well this is this is just a thought i'm having it's it's again it's still too early to say (sighs) uh for me on that yeah
1: i don't want to be right about this I mean, like I said, I held my hands up last time when I thought I was wrong about the way the show was going. And I still think episode five is great. Should you apologize for apologizing? I think I'm going to sign off and say good night, folks. Uh, thank you very much for listening, as always. Um, let's very quickly shout out where we are. Uh, you can find me at Shaden1010 on Twitter and at Shaden on CuriousCatME. Doc? Uh, at The Subtle Doctor on Twitter, uh, curiouscat.me/slash The Subtle Doctor. Indeed. And as always, folks, uh, for good and for bad, for episodes that are great and for episodes that are terrible, for differing opinions, but all legit, from wherever you may hear them from, we'll still say this. Embrace each other, everyone, to the end of the universe, and a very good night. <laughs>